Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 Horror Watch List, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. One last thing before we begin, and this is my email newsletter, The Howl. The Howl is a monthly rundown of the latest horror news along with my hand-picked movie recommendations, updates from the show, and cool stuff I've recently discovered, all in one quick read email delivered to your inbox only once a month. Easy to read, easy to sign up for, and easy to cancel. Join the Howl newsletter by visiting nicktaylor.com slash the howl. That's nicktaylor.com slash the howl. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores how today's horror filmmakers are getting their movies made while deconstructing their methods and career strategies into practical insights that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes creative processes, funding resources, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and much, much more. In this episode, we're thrilled to welcome the very innovative, resourceful, and determined Robbie Banfitch. Robbie recently made a very impressive debut with his first feature, The Outwaters. The Outwaters is a unique blend of survival horror and found footage with a touch of quantum horror. The film takes its audiences on a terrifying journey into the heart of the Mojave Desert and straight to hell from there. Here, four travelers set up camp, initially to shoot a music video, but soon find themselves plunged into a harrowing, reality-bending nightmare. What begins as an unexplained series of sounds, odd vibrations, and strange animal behavior soon morphs into a terrifying ordeal that challenges their very nature of reality. So not only did Robbie direct this film, but he also wrote it, starred in it, and financed it all while working full-time for Greenpeace. All of this was achieved on a meager budget of $7,000, proving that creativity and drive can outshine even the tightest of budgets. The Outwaters premiered at the New Jersey Film Festival in 2022 and is now streaming on Screenbox. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Robbie Banfitch. I always wanted to make a found footage film, but I, I wanted to wait until I had an idea that seemed unique and um, exciting to me. Um, so at some point after seeing Willow Creek, 
which I really loved. So Bigfoot found footage. Um, I just got inspired to start intentionally thinking about making something. I came up with an idea for the threat that I hadn't personally seen before. Um, and somehow in that same time, I came up with the title because mm. I like the word Outlands and somehow Outwaters um, seemed like it could be a great title for a horror film. So everything came from the title and then being inspired from having seen Willow Creek, which I just thought was really fun. Nice. Um, I don't know if that answered the question yeah. properly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I feel like in the past, I've spoken to other people who have done found footage, and they basically say, well, given the budget that I had, found footage was the most feasible, but you wanted to make a found footage movie. You you like the subgenre, clearly. I definitely have always wanted to make a found footage movie. I also had no budget. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> it, it worked. Gotcha. Um, I, uh, yeah, I was working at Greenpeace at the time when I started filming, and so the budget was just literally like, my, what was ever what was left over from my paychecks after after paying rent and and food oh wow what do you do at greenpeace or what were you doing at greenpeace um i was um uh can like running helping run the los angeles office oh nice um, we would mainly be doing public outreach talking to people on the streets you know being like hey come save a come save a little wolf nice kind of but um yeah i worked there for nine years and and helped manage the office uh, oh, we also great, did local man. organizing and protesting stuff so but yeah the budget you know i worked at a nonprofit, so the budget was the back ends of my nonprofit paychecks gotcha gotcha so there's yeah. no excuse to not get your movie made because i mean you really leaned into what was available to you because this was very innovative i, I really found and it didn't feel like it was that low budget it found like it was just painstakingly scoped out it's kind of like if Terrence Malick directed a uh, like the a Blair Witch Project, but to eleven. Um, so that was the that was my actual. No way. <laughs> I, I just wanted to do. Yeah, you didn't read that somewhere. No, I definitely, that's definitely my thing. Oh, holy shit! No, I just came out watching the movie. Malick's my favorite. Oh, that makes me happy. <laughs> no, oh, Malick's wow. my favorite. Um, and I just wanted. Well, I guess one of the ideas that made me excited to do this was like, oh, what if like. Malik were wandering in hell. Not that I'm Malik, obviously, but mm -hmm. like something like that. Oh, that's super um, cool. And his new movie that's supposed to come out, I believe, has a little hellishness, so I'm pretty excited. Oh, I didn't even wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, because he's done yeah. he hasn't gotten that dark. I mean, Badlands technically gets dark. Days of Heaven has some, you know, cool crime stuff in it. Um Tree of Life gets a little dark here and there, but he hasn't gone into like real darkness. That I've seen. I feel like Night of Cups was pretty dark. Oh, I Did you see that one? I didn't see that one. No. Oh, oh. If you like Malik, that's one of my favorites. All right. But yeah, yeah. no, I just um, and there's a few shots in there that I there's one of, that's from Tree of Life of uh, one of the characters in my film is walking on the dry lake bed, um, and that's inspired by the Tree of Life shot of uh, Jessica Chastain like as the camera sweeps across the dry lake bed and she's walking in a white dress mm -hmm. but I had myself walk into frame after to you know break my character loves Terrence Malick so. got it got it yeah. <laughs> well you could definitely feel it um, you would mention that you had never seen this type of threat in in a horror movie how do you describe the threat and feel free to drop a spoiler alert if you'd like 
most people have seen the movie when they listen to these or not, or we can just speak in, you know, metaphorical terms. But what, what was the threat in this movie? Cause I feel like it's partially up for interpretation, but I'm curious about how you would define it. Um, I guess I definitely built the whole film around a specific idea of a threat, but so far, and I think I'm just going to for now at least keep it that way. I don't really like to, talk about the specific threat because it, it might ruin it for some people I, I just remember when i saw hereditary i had my own interpretation and i loved it and then i heard something else and i still loved it just mm. as much but i was kind of like oh i kind of wish i got to keep my interpretation i got you yeah. and i've already seen a bunch of different um theories for outwaters so i wanted people to just be able to kind of keep keep their theories and keep talking about it but what i can say about the threat is uh, I can just call it chaos. Got it. Yeah, no, 100% what... <laughs> respect that. I think it is more interesting when you have your own interpretation of the film. You know, it's um, kind of like, here's literally what this metaphor means. Yeah, it's just one of the uh, chaos. Cool. <laughs> Hope you don't mind if I ask you a just brutally honest question. Was this inspired by any real bad hallucinogenic trips? Because I, felt, I no, felt like I was I'm on some to... bad shit. I'm a little wild. I've done plenty of drugs, but... Um... <laughs> I kind of stay away from the hallucinogenic stuff. I can't even really do weed. Gotcha. It makes me too paranoid. Oh, dude, so, me too. I had so much anxiety. I can't do it. Cannot do it. Yeah. The only thing that, that I can do when smoking pot is like watching Mamma Mia, like <laughs> <laughs> watching Meryl Streep right. dance with her, uh, what do you call it? Garf the gays will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You need anyway, to come for yeah, me. No. No, I hear you. <laughs> it's not inspired by any uh, hallucinogenic. Oh, that's interesting because it was so trippy and it felt so accurately trippy. Which, but that's interesting. Yeah, I just took the, I took the idea of of what the threat is, which will chaos, I think, uh, and and filtered that through what would chaos look like if it were captured on someone's actual camera. Mm -hmm. It'd probably be pretty chaotic uh, <laughs> and go in all kinds of directions. And uh, what was the other? There was another line of thought I have with with that. Oh, oh, and my character state of mind. Okay. Too, while while filming. Gotcha. So, but yeah, no, no hallucinogenics. Got it. Okay, that is really really interesting. So, would love to hear about the overall production experience. I mean, clearly you were. Where was this shot? Joshua Tree. I shot in a variety of different random desert locations in a few different states um oh, wow. all of them were pretty drivable and nondescript and i wanted to keep it pretty secret just in case I, when i was making the movie it was literally me and my friends and no crew so i wasn't but just in case that i didn't want people going and like trampling on you know some of these spots but it really it's just a few different random locations that some of them we just found on the day, like driving around, wow. pulled over, that kind of thing. Whoa. But mostly in California. Yeah. So this was like real punk rock ethic, run and gun style filmmaking. Like you guys went from place to place, got the shots. It was just you. There was no real crew. Uh, is that is that accurate? No crew. Cast is the crew. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had one friend, Brian Bullard, who came out. I think twice, like two different days to help, um, help with a couple shots. But other than that, the, it was, it was me and my friends who are in the film were the crew. 
Nice. No equipment except camping equipment, which, yeah. Got it. And what did you shoot with? A Canon 70D. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. And when I look at the credits, um, it has you listed as writer, director, producer, cinematographer, and star, which is so really impressive. No, it's a prey. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do it all yourself. Listen, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> I, did, I really didn't have a choice. Yeah. And well, I had to be in the movie because it was found footage. I actually don't uh, have any like aspirations to uh, be in movies. Oh, really? So, you, you're not you're not acting in any other capacity or you don't want to? No. Okay. Um, I am in my next in, in my next movie, but that's also because it's found footage. Totally different style, totally different story. Oh, nice, um, you're digging into the found footage. All right. I have one more in me. There's, I just want to, I had another idea that I've had for a long time. Um, I shot the new one on mini DV. So that mm-hmm. was fun going back to those mini DV camera. <laughs> oh, right. that's fun. Um, so you have like a solid but, trilogy of found footage movies in you. Yeah. Like red, white, and blue, except for low budget found footage movies. <laughs> so that's yeah. great. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad somebody's championing the found footage movie. I don't know why it gets hate in the horror community. I love them. I find them so much fun, and I think that there's, there's so much more to do. For me, a found footage film is just a film, and at the end of the day, it's a film, and it can be good or bad. So, yeah, I make good ones. <laughs> so, with wearing so many hats as you did, what were some of the benefits of that, and what were some of the drawbacks of that? Benefit, total freedom, um, total time. I think that because Outwitters keeps getting called experimental, and I would say if there's something experimental about it, it would be the process of of um, putting it all together. Mm-hmm. I would be able to put the whole film together and then get more ideas and just go back out to the desert and yeah. film them. And I did that for, I guess, up to about three years total. Oh, is that how um, long it took to make Outwarders? Yeah, technically. And that, there's so much stuff in, in the final film that I had not planned out or thought of initially when I started making it. So the, the benefit was definitely total freedom in, in the art of it and also just time. I didn't have a deadline. Um, nice. So. And a negative would be, you could sit at the computer for <laughs> days. Yeah. Like, um, also, I have a problem with like finishing editing and deciding something's done. So I'm like, oh, I could keep filming for another few years. You know what I mean? But at some point, you need to really just put the cap on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But it, for me, I love editing. I love holding the camera. Um, so all of that on that side, I think it was all positive. Cool. So how did, well, first of all, I know this, this was a real hit on the festival circuit. What was the audience reaction like when you saw this on a big screen? So awkward. It was so awkward. <laughs> really? I know, it's not like a, my, my, how many times have I seen it in a theater with an audience? I saw it at panic fest with an audience and at the unnamed footage festival in San Francisco with an audience. I would just describe it as awkward. It's not your typical horror movie experience where everybody's like jumping and screaming. Mm-hmm. There's lots of just like 
I don't know how much of it's in my head because I'm also like in the movie acting like a total weirdo, but um, the kind of applause at the end where it's like no one knows <laughs> who, uh, who should start the applause. It's like a slow, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like that kind of awkwardness. Yeah. 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 And I, seeing it at Panic Fest, I knew there was people sitting next to me that were absolutely like hating it. I could feel it. And then um, people to the other side that I could tell were like really into it. Um, so just nice. an awkward, I would describe it as just an awkward experience, which maybe like hell, hellish uh, chaos should be. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, because I mean, the the, the I'm not going to ruin anything, but the, the ending, the coup de grace of the movie is rough. So I could see people being too shocked to clap by the end. But uh, that um, elicits the one screening. It was horrified gas. One screening. It was kind of like giggles. So it's, a, it's all very unpredictable. I found yeah. the audience. The audience thing with this has been pretty unpredictable. So. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Like a lot of people laugh when they're actually scared. I mean, it's a different release of tension. So how did Screenbox get involved? I believe they saw it. I believe they saw it at Panic Fest and reached out. Okay. My my goal with my goal with making this was, or I just hope to make something that is good enough to get into festivals. And if it gets into festivals, Hopefully it'll get good reviews because it got into the festivals. And then if it gets good reviews, then um, distributors will find it. And that, that was my plan mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, and that's what happened. So they, they saw it at, at Panic Fest. I th- I'm not sure who saw it first. It might have been Megan Navarro. Bloody disgusting. Oh, but I'm not nice. sure. Okay. Um, so yeah, someone watched it through the fest. Got I tried it. to have a really, I, I tried to have a good trailer too that I made. Yeah, the trailer was great, and the the poster art is beautiful too. Heath, um, um, my poster designer came on a few months ago, and we did. We have a whole bunch of posters that are coming out that are really kind of grindhousey and awesome. Oh, cool! Uh, but before that, I was just making making posters here on my computer. On I don't even have like Adobe, so I was just using Pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those Apple programs, you can use them for all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. So what was your, I know you went to film school, right? You went to SVA? Yeah, I went to School of Visual Arts in New York. Okay, um, very nice. And what was, how did that experience contribute to your abilities as a filmmaker? Because I hear mixed things. Some people think film school is great. Other people don't. What was your overall oh. experience like? How did it contribute to your career? Um, I had a nothing but a 100% great experience. I was making, I was making movies since I was 10. I knew that I wanted to make movies since earlier than that. Um, so I remember at the, like when I was in high school, the goal was to just go to a, a college where I could just keep making stuff Yeah, and work with other people. And that's what SBA offered. Uh, they start you off on film, whereas some other programs, um, I mean, I don't know if I, I believe it's still that way. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, but um, I know that many film programs, like they don't let you touch film until the end. Right. Which and is silly. SBA. I knew that they start you off on it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just had four years of, of making movies with awesome people and um, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about film school experience. I also, sense. you know, in college, I mean, in high school I had, 
heard that thing of, oh, you'll get brainwashed or you'll get watered down, but I didn't have that experience. I think it's kind of what you make it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I never heard that. Like you get brainwashed as far as what? Any kind of school. Oh, okay. Got it. By like, like that college. school specific I mean, I culture. I might just be getting that from Claire's character from six feet under. She was worried <laughs> about, she was worried about going to art school. Okay. Got it. <laughs> got it. But what was your own personal cinema uh, education like? Like, how did you seek out movies? How did you decide what to watch? And then how did that shape your sensibility as a director? Um, the earliest ages, the my first favorite movies, they were all pretty fantastical. So like King Kong is one of the first movies I, I remember watching. Jaws. Yeah. Obviously Jurassic Park. I really um, gravitated toward... toward um, ride at rides and experience and and um adventure um as i started growing up i was sort of gravitating more towards horror getting that thrill feeling and i think it was around i think one of the first films i saw that i remember well, first of all my dad was very into art films so he would he would show me stuff from different countries and, oh, and that's great and and all of that but i think one of the first when I really started exploring different kinds of film other than Jaws type stuff was I saw Magnolia hmm. when I was I don't know, maybe 13. And as soon as the frogs fell out of the sky, or I don't know if you've seen Magnolia. Oh, multiple times. Okay. So as soon as the frogs fell from the sky, I was like, what, what you can do that in the drama? What? Um, and that really got me like going on my own. And Magnolia was the same year as American Beauty, and that kind of set me off into trying to find different. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that was a hell of a time for stuff. filmmaking. I feel like we were about the same age because I was about thirteen when I saw both of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, Run Lola Run was a big influence. Um, around that time, my favorite movies were like Jackie Brown, Run Lola Run, Donnie Darko, Magnolia, American Beauty, Wrecking for a Dream, all that stuff. Cool. Yeah, Jackie Brown, I feel like, is the one Tarantino movie not enough people talk about. It's such a gem. It's your favorite Tarantino? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's I definitely, it. I mean, it's it's hard to say it's one of mine because, like, all of his movies are favorites. I have, like, a good top three. But, yeah, that movie is just nobody talks about it. But it's so wonderful and it's so funny and it's so good. And it's really a sweet movie. It's like, it's a love story at the end of the day, which I think not a lot of people realize, but yeah, it's a, the under Mike, Mike Tarantino ranking is pretty unpopular. It's like Jackie Brown and then death proof and then kill Bill. <laughs> nice. Um, but no, yeah. Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown's one of my first favorite movies as not a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you kind of you reach that age where you mm -hmm. know your cinematic taste is actually got some sophistication to it yeah yeah i think i had seen pulp fiction before jackie brown but didn't quite get it yeah i was probably a little too young mm -hmm. thanks dad but um <laughs> but yeah jackie brown's the first movie i saw in that realm where i was like where i could say oh this is something different and unique and this is like a director's voice yeah yeah, I had a little of that. I mean, my parents were really intent on me not seeing R-rated movies until I was of age. But then I think when I turned like 16, it was like, all right, see whatever you want. And I think that one year I saw Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, Goodfellas, Casino, and I would my mind just couldn't take it. it. I was just it was completely blown away. But I had that sort of, you know, cinematic awakening, so to speak. But yeah, it was a hell of a time for movies. 
Well, the Candyman when I was seven or eight, like right when it came out on video. That was oh, nice. a little bit much for, for a <laughs> <laughs> that's a harsh one yeah yeah the, My the favorite remake movie. i love the re the, or the the requel whatever you want to call it the jordan peele one i thought was fantastic were you a fan no okay <laughs> i was a fan of i thought it looked really beautiful i i loved the music i just i wanted more um i wanted more vanessa williams and and yeah, no, understandable. I, you know, I say I'm not a fan, but I have watched it five times, so maybe I am. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, I just love can I love Candyman. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, the, the for me, it's, you know what? You know what it is? It's I the the original Candyman is my favorite horror movie of all time. Mm. You have the Philip Glass score, and it's shot on like beautiful film, and it's so grainy and gritty, and just the the new one, it's just so pretty, and it's bleak and gorgeous it's yeah. just for me it's hard to put them together mm. yeah it's interesting there is something so eerie and beautifully done about that because i think bernard rose i don't know too much about the rest of his filmography but i do know he's not typically a horror director which i'm gonna probably get reamed out about this on twitter um but like some of the best horror movies are made by non-horror directors like jaws and spielberg and the Shining and Kubrick and Friedkin and The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and Polanski. Um, just having that extra level, and people call it elevated horror, which I don't, but having that extra cinematic ability, I think, can really add to the eeriness of a movie. And I think for Candyman, that was it for me, for sure. It's yeah, so beautiful. The other done. film I've seen of his was Paper House. I believe he did. I believe he did Paper House. And that wasn't um, horror, right? It was horror ish, but not oh, really? outright okay. horror. It was horror ish. I think okay. that's the only, that's the only one I can remember seeing besides, you know. Gosh. Yeah, I'm going out on a limb. I don't know for sure about Bernard Rose, but somehow I thought that. But um, but anyway, um, so do you mind if I ask you what the budget was for this movie? It was about, in terms of when I was filming it. I think it just getting it made, grand. just getting it cut and, you know, handing in the, f the first cut. or Like seven grand. Oh, wow. So like true Robert did... Rodriguez style. Yeah, it was just, I mean, somewhere around seven grand. I mean, it wasn't much because it was just, I'm broke and I was a nonprofit worker and I yeah. didn't have a producer at the time. And then after my um, beau, Jano, who he and I used to work together at After Dark Films back when I first moved to LA, mm -hmm. Eight Films to Die For, um, that whole thing, um, he came on after it was done and then we did some reshoots. Okay. Um, not just because I wanted to film more stuff yeah, yeah, that added another. So I think ultimately plus now all the finishing stuff, I think even with all the finishing stuff, AKA just getting DCPs made and, and that kind of thing, like 15 grand, but that's after everything. Wow. That's amazing. I shot it for seven grand or, or less. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That is very inspirational. Well, what is next for you? I have another feature that I shot after the Outwaters, or I guess yeah, towards the tail end of the Outwaters, uh, called Tinsman Road. Okay, and that is premiering at a film festival soon. Interesting. But I can't name it yet. Oh, great. All right, so you got um, another one in the can, ready to go. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't have a script, but I do have a whole other movie. So cool. And I, I actually, my first feature, I still has yet to come out because I don't have enough money for a composer. So um, that's called Exvalis. So I have two in the can. 
Oh wow, one's that's ready great. to come out. The other one needs a composer. But so you have three total, the, including Outwaters. Yeah, in the past five years, I've shot three features. Outwaters is the is the second one to be shot, but the first to come out. Um, the third to be shot is going to be the second to come out, and the first that was shot will be the third to come out. Although interesting, I'm, all um, found footage. I don't know how long it will take. No, the the Ex Vallis, my first feature, is a black and white silent <laughs> drama. Uh, I wouldn't call it fantasy, but it's it's the Maliki one. It's okay. about a um a young woman who dies tragically in an accident in the forest, and it follows her spirit as she wanders through another plane of existence and then it follows her family and friends as they mourn her and she's on this journey through the wilderness um so it's very malicky yeah not horror but i don't know how big the audience is going to be for that black and white silent feature <laughs> <laughs> no it sounds interesting though for sure yeah i'll send you the trailer yeah yeah i would love to take a look at it for sure well, it was great catching up with you, and uh, congrats on the movie. I mean, it was everybody listening should definitely seek it out. It's on Screenbox. Well, everybody try to seek this out for sure. It is a real shocking treat. If you think you know found footage, you don't until you see this. But, Robbie, uh, real pleasure to meet you. Before we wrap up, any parting advice or wisdom for those aspiring horror filmmakers out there? Um, Yeah, I'm, it's probably a cliche thing to say, but just make your stuff. That's what I, I, I had been um, thinking about movies, and which is also good. You need to time to think and germinate. it. But um, ultimately, I just went out and started shooting. Um, and then when my first film got uh, stuck because I don't have a composer, I started making my next one. And um, I just made it so that I didn't need a composer. So footage just let so, nothing get in your way yeah just go out and make your stuff and and keep watching good films and trying to better yourself hopefully my next movie is better than the outwaters and hopefully the outwaters is better than my first movie so got it yeah all right well thanks again this was a lot of fun All right, reflecting on our conversation with Robbie, only one key takeaway stands out. If you want to be a filmmaker, there is simply no excuse not to make your movie. Robbie's journey with the Outwaters showcases this in its purest form. With a very limited budget, he managed to create a feature that didn't feel restricted by its financial constraints, but instead used them to inform its very intentional style and narrative. Horror is not just the most profitable genre, it's also the most adaptable. We've witnessed an explosion of creativity with filmmakers exploiting very simple technology to craft stories through Zoom calls, screen shares, and beyond. You're truly only limited by your imagination. My guests consistently reiterate this advice, which is, look at what you have access to and just start filming. We're in an era where excuses are becoming more and more obsolete. And Robbie is a shining example of this spirit. He not only made the Outwaters, but he's actually gone on to shoot two other features. Regardless of what he has access to, Robbie is a relentless creative force who actualizes his projects, offering a pretty serious lesson for all of us. 
Robbie's journey ultimately reminds us to seize any and all opportunities and to start creating regardless of our circumstances. As Robbie demonstrated, all it takes is ingenuity, tenacity, and a budget as low as $7,000. And as I reflect on this conversation, it's clear that it's time I take this advice to heart myself, and I hope you listeners do too. Anyway, guys, until next time, stay spooky and keep creating. And thanks for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Hey, guys, one last thing before you head off, and this is The Howl. How would you like a monthly newsletter featuring a recap of the latest horror news, my personal movie recommendations, updates from the show, and cool stuff I've recently discovered? If this sounds like something you'd enjoy, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Howl, today. You can sign up for The Howl by visiting nicktaylor.com slash The Howl. That's nicktaylor.com slash The Howl.